We are going to be in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it, is sa- it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you welcome Pastor Aaron? We don't need all those hoops and hollers. Settle down. Jeez. Got my ego all inflated. It's great. No, it really is good to to be here. Um, As clearly, apparently, some of you know, my name's Aaron. Um, I am happily a part of this church family. I hope you can say the same. Um, I'm also a licensed and ordained Foursquare pastor, so don't worry, it's not just some random dude. Although... (laughs) Although I feel usually like some random dude. Um, I spent about 15 of my 30 vocational years on staff here at this church. In the mid-90s, I was the youth pastor for about six years. And then in the 2010s, most of the 2010s, I was pastor of discipleship and mission. And I have to say, uh, comparison is the thief of joy, so I'm not comparing. But I will say, I am just so blessed and impressed with the, the staff that leads this church uh, I really do believe in, in Pastor Lane and everybody that he's got working with him. Uh, good stuff. Hot mic. Um, and as I look at, at over the years, a lot has changed. A ton has changed. Service flow, the buildings, uh, the staff, the congregants. Uh, I don't know a bunch of you. Um, <laughs> we've gone from passing communion cups down the rows once a month in these big tins to uh, getting up and going to different stations around the room or some other room uh, once a month to grabbing them on our way in. Uh, and, and we've got these brilliant little uh, grip it, rip it, flip it, and dip it <laughs> cups that I just think are 
the coolest thing. They're all, they're all good options. Uh, we've collected tithes and offerings different ways as, as well. I love how Pastor Kate or, or someone else will say, hey, if you're new, uh, feel no obligation to give, no pressure. Uh, my goofy mind always wants to finish that sentence with, but if you're not new, uh, <clears throat> which is a joke. That is not implied by the staff here. And it's certainly not implied by God. He loves a cheerful giver and there's no obligatory offering going on here. Um, We've changed locations many times. We've been in different places, multiple places at once. We've changed gathering times several times. Uh, We've changed names three times. Um, If you're wondering what the history of that is, I'll tell you some other time. We've repurposed different rooms and spaces and redesigned this platform more times than I can even count. Uh, there have been a lot of changes. What has not changed, though, in my opinion, with uh, 32 years of, of data collection here at this church, is that God's loving and gracious hand is on this church. That his Holy Spirit shows up seeking hearts and minds and bodies to touch and fill with his powerful love every time we get together. He's unchanging. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he wants to meet you here, even today. Why is that? Why would he want to meet you here? Or is that just something I'm supposed to say? No, I believe it's actually true. And the reason is because you are his beloved child. If you're in Christ, your default standing is that of a royal co-heir with Christ. You're just going to be quiet? Thank you, Rob. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, you like apples? How about them apples this morning? You, you are royalty in Christ. And that matters. I just want to encourage you with that today because full confession, there's a lot of times I'll show up on a Sunday here not really ready for anything more than, oh, yeah, I'm a church. You know, I got here. Good job. A little late. Whatever. Right, But I forget that just walking through these doors, there's an opportunity that awaits me. And I uh, just want to remind us of that. So if God's here and he's longing to meet us here as we gather in Jesus' name, uh, let's pause to invite him in. Let's do that individually. That's on you. Um, and corporately, I'll, I'll pray right now. Father, we ask that you would open up spaces in our hearts this morning regardless of how these hearts showed up here, that you would soften and comfort and nudge us with your love, that we would be receptive to any customized message that you would have for each of us, not my message, but yours, and that nothing would disrupt or confuse the inner working of what you're trying to do here. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I spent you know, about an hour uh, hunting the internet to try and find some like 2023 recap videos that I could put up on the screen and say, remember 2023? Uh, And as I looked and I looked, I found nothing worth putting up. And I'll I'll tell you why in in a second. Um, Or or maybe just a list of things that would be definably 2023. And it was actually really hard to find anything uh, satisfactory. Um, That could be my pickiness or it could just be that, well... I'll share in a bit. I didn't find 
uh, anything great, but it did further solidify my feelings about the, the state of things. Um, a few things. One is that there's a lot of difficult stuff going on in the world. A lot of really tough stuff. Wars and, um, gosh, natural disasters, one after another. Um, economic struggles, uh, I would say rampant moral decline. Uh, there's just a lot of difficult things going on. Uh, but as I looked at uh, videos that just show picture after picture, clip after clip, short, short video runs, uh, it occurred to me also, secondly, that God loves every single person. Now, that's not what the videos were saying at all. But that's what happened to me as I watched over and over people in an earthquake being devastated at the loss of a loved one, uh, people being hit by a tsunami, people uh, just all these things going on, uh, soldiers at war, uh, all this pain, it just kind of struck me. There's 8 billion of us. And God is nuts about 8 billion of us. Not some of us. Every single one. Fill in the blank with a descriptor of a kind of person. That one too. It struck me that he loves us. And three... That, and this is a little bit my opinion, might seem a little soapboxy, but that our world is super loaded with compelling narratives that draw so many of these, of the 8 billion beloved people away from the center, away from love and a sound mind, towards some polarizing extremity. Here's what I mean. The story, whatever the story is, the one that moves the needle the most, it seems to me, is the one that is carrying an acute bias of some sort. One that's trying to engage a side or pull us to a side. So as a result, the extreme and the loud rises to the top and gets the most press and is heard the most, and I will air quote, the clearest. So that means that narratives that carry the most influence are not necessarily those that carry the most actual substance. And this, the way this whole system works, and I'm, I'm really not trying to be political. This is philosophy that impacts everything, including, I suppose, political stuff. I'm the least political person I know, so I'm sorry if that's what's coming out. Here's what I don't like about the system. It assures division. There's no way... Doing it like this doesn't divide us. If I were the devil, I would roll this way. It opposes the ministry of reconciliation that you and I read about and are called to. And as this continues to occur, this way that narratives unpack, and it's not about to magically stop, I want to echo the message coming from our church over the last couple of months. I want to echo proposing an upside-down kingdom posture. The title of the message this morning is What If? So here's the first of many what-ifs. What if we intentionally turn down the dial of taking ourselves so dang seriously? Of being so convinced of the narratives that we carry that we've absorbed into our worldview? And what if we cranked up the dial on taking God way more seriously. What would, what would that look like? 
The passage that Pastor Kate read, thank you, by the way, Pastor Kate, uh, has several things to challenge and encourage us with as we step into another year with Jesus and another year with our loved ones and another year with our community and another year with this world that is beautiful but very broken. Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. You don't need a degree for that. Uh, The believers in this church in Ephesus were mostly new believers because they were Gentiles. And Gentiles historically were not believers because Jews were. And now Jesus at the cross and resurrection opened up the floodgates to anyone to be a believer. That's the gospel. Um, And so these new believers needed to know, gosh, how do we do this? And Paul, unfortunately, is stuck in jail. And so he's getting word on how are they doing? How's the church in Ephesus doing? Well, they're doing okay. They need some, some understanding and some growth, some encouragement. And so he writes this letter from a prison cell in Rome. With nothing but time to pray and to think, Paul got some crystal clarity from God, in my opinion. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. It's jam-packed with love, with encouragement, with instruction, with blessing. And it applies the same now as it did then. It encourages us to think of ourselves in a whole new way, not just as sinners saved by grace, right? Which is true. But what Paul's trying to get across is you are begotten children in Christ. You have a completely radical new identity. So he's made it clear in the first three chapters as he's building and encouraging them how blessed they are in Christ. He's prayed for them to stay strong. He's explained the miracle of the transformation that's occurred in them from death to life. And he's emphasizing how vital it is to be united, to be together, to be one, to be family. And then he prays this amazing, great prayer at the end of chapter 3 that we would supernaturally know the otherwise naturally unknowable love of God, which I just think is so cool. So then chapter 4 is this turning point where in the letter, in the message of Ephesians 4, we live our our lives worthy of the calling. So it's not just how great it is to be in Christ. It's turning the page and saying, now that you are, here's here's what we do with that. Here's how we live it out. Stand up and get to reflecting this great love that you've been given. So what's the calling to which we've been called, like verse 1 talks about? Well, verses 2 and 3 say that our calling is living with humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity of the Spirit, and peace. And if we're honest, as I read those, just kind of like when I read the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, those noble virtues don't necessarily seem to me, at, at first glance, motivating or powerful or progressive or impactful. They just seem really nice, which is great. But the wimpy side of nice, if I'm just being honest. And if I'm looking at it with kind of kingdom of earth eyeballs. But if these qualities are in fact the calling to which we're called, they should come before the other things, like tasks completed, goals accomplished, money earned, status acquired, influence won, awards received, all the impressive stuff. Before all that, we work to our calling, humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, peace. 
And if we happen to achieve great things in human terms while we're exemplifying these characteristics, awesome. But an important message in Ephesians 4 is that God does not confuse achievement with significance, nor should we. A person can achieve a lot in the world's terms without being humble, gentle, patient, loving, united, or peaceful. This world actually opposes the upside-down kingdom that we've been learning about. So it makes sense that worldly success would be achieved with worldly behavior. And on the contrary, success in the way of Jesus would be achieved through different behavior, different thinking, different motivation, upside down. So what if, another what if, what if we entertained and then acted on the call of being even more different, more upside down as we enter 2024? Remember, what impresses the world doesn't necessarily impress God. And what impresses God doesn't necessarily impress the world. Remember the parable of the widow's might in Mark 12, one of my favorite chapters. This gal comes to the temple, and what's happening there is wealthy people are bringing lots to the temple, and it impresses other people. Yay! And then this gal brings two little coins worth a few cents and places them at the treasury. That doesn't impress a lot of people. And Jesus says to his disciples, hers is greater. He was impressed by her because they give out of their excess, but she gives all that she has. So she was walking out the calling to which she had been called, and, and they actually weren't. Because, as I think it's 1 Samuel 16, 7, says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Right. So in this upside-down kingdom, as we pursue Jesus first, we may look different. We may go against the flow. And for some of us, we might be thinking, you know, I don't know how comfortable I am with being different. Because that that feels a little intimidating. That feels kind of like what I've been trying not to do. Um, I get that. But here's a quick challenge, and then we'll move on. If we truly reflect Jesus it will be attractive because there's something built in to everybody for that. It will spark an internal magnetism at a deep level for those longing for what they don't yet have. Reflecting Jesus can't actually backfire. He will be seen in a good light if it's actually a reflection of him, and so will you. So I would encourage you, if you fear different or if you fear the idea of living into this upside-down kingdom because it's different, when you look in the mirror, you're hoping to be attractive, okay? You don't fear that. If you want to be truly attractive, reflect Jesus. That's different. So let love wash out that fear. Point one this morning, if you're taking notes, is the calling is beautifully different. It's upside-down. It should produce long-term significance over short-term achievement. Significance over achievement. And then the second point is this this morning. There's an intentional purpose attached to your existence. Did you know that? There's a really custom intentional purpose attached to your life, your specific self. 
The Holy Spirit has given each follower clear enough calling. We're like, what's my calling? I don't know my calling. I'm kind of stuck. I'm sort of paralyzed because what, what am I called to? It's clear enough. And special gifts for both building up the church and reaching the lost. If you don't know exactly what your gifts are, you can get help with that. I get it. That can be hard to figure out. But the calling is clear enough. It's crucial to use the gifts that we've been given. Why? Is it so that God will finally be proud of you and love you more? Is that why you should use your gifts? No. Is it because it's, it's kind of a use it or lose it program? Kind of like paid time off or something program? Not at all. Is it because you'll, you'll finally be worth more if you do more for God? Absolutely not. And if any of those things creep in as truth for you, it is not truth. It's none of that. In fact, your value is infinite and untouchable. Let me say that again. Your value is infinite and untouchable to God. The reason it's crucial for you and I to use the gifts that we've been given and move toward the purpose of our life is because it's in the best interest of the best us. It's best for us. Because then we're aligned with our purpose. It's where abundant life happens. I feel like it, it would help. I'm kind of compelled, feeling like sharing a, a common message that I feel like communicating in, in both my professional and personal life these days. It's kind of my, kind of the banner I'm waving. I've sort of built my coaching practice around this, and uh, it comes from the great commandment, so it's certainly not mine. Um, it's in Mark 12, which is right, it's right before the story about the widow's mite that we just referenced. There's a religious leader that comes to Jesus, and they spend a lot of time trying to trap him, um, asking him different questions. Anyway, he says, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus' answer could not have been more perfect or all-encompassing or important. He said, and you know this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. They didn't ask for a second. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command, singular, greater than these, plural. So now today, modern psychology has broken the human self into quadrants, four different parts, almost like they stole it from Scripture. The emotional heart, Spiritual, soul, mental, mind, physical, strength. It also delineates four distinct emotions. You may be seeing the cartoon movie. Sadness goes with the heart, emotional. Joy goes with the soul, spiritual. Fear goes with the mind. And anger with the body, strength, physical. And I suggest that these also line up with the four core needs that everybody has, which is coming straight out of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. To be loved, emotional, heart. To be valued, soul. To be known, mind. And to be safe, body. Jesus is making it clear in this interaction with this religious leader, and science is confirming it over and over and over and over, what our whole self is, and that all our parts need to be healthy, and that connecting them to God is the key. In fact, there was a study done by Dartmouth School of Medicine and the YMCA and a conglomeration, a whole bunch of people. They did this beautiful study, 
and they called it hardwired to connect, and they found scientifically that it is built into everybody from baby to adult to reach up, to look up for something beyond themselves, and that that's the key to understanding yourself wholly, completely, and deeply. So, Jesus making it clear that the vertical relationship is a submitted one where God is given full access and lordship to our different parts, however damaged they may be. And then our horizontal relationship would look like his love, which must be funneled through us agreeing with God's message about us. And that's the key. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've said this before, but we think that's about neighbor. It's not. It's about self. We are his beloved. We are royal. Again, we are worthy under Christ. We are wonderfully made. The pinnacle of spiritual maturity is simply just to agree with that, to agree with God's perception of you, and then to apply that to all your parts, all your needs, all your feelings, all your thoughts, and then all your actions. You're welcome. Life 101. Not that easy though, is it? But it begs the question, are you spiritually mature? Do you think what he thinks about you? That's all you got to do to be spiritually mature. I might have oversimplified it there a little bit. (laughs) But not much. Does that alignment go on to then inform your relationships? Okay, I know that was a lot. A little bit of a fire hose moment there. Deep breath. But wait, there's more. Um, So in point one, he's given you gifts, point two rather, uh, and there's a custom purpose for you. Exercising those gifts and living that purpose is the best use of your time and energy. So right now you might be thinking, Aaron, you just talked a bunch about getting healthy and all these aspects, and you're saying go exercise your gifts. I could spend my whole life just trying to get healthy let alone working on my unique purpose. I hear you. I thought that too. So point three is this. Growing in whole health propels a purposeful life. And living out your purposeful life propels whole health. They work for each other. In other words, you don't have to wait to get after it. Let's read verses 14 through 16. I can read it. It won't be on the screen, but uh, if you have it in front of you, great. Then we will no longer be influenced, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What if in 2024 we experienced a year where we handed over each part, all of our stuff, so that we could, as verse 15 says, grow up in every way. Heart, emotional health, soul, spiritual health, mind, mental health, strength, physical health. Right? What if? For example, what if 
in 2024, I was particularly intentional about embracing my emotional well-being. What if I kind of went after that? Where I was being honest with my big and little feelings and moving through them instead of shoving them down, rejecting them, repressing them. Or throwing them around haphazardly, over-expressing them all over the wall. What would it be like to have conversations with Jesus and maybe even some trusted people in our lives where we ask for help processing all of it? What if in 2024 I was determined to love God with my mind? I'm convicted by this. Do you think I might read and watch and listen to more for learning truth and love and beauty and goodness? Are there, are there plenty of things out there to watch and listen to that oppose truth and love and beauty and goodness, that oppose God's best for us? Obviously, it's everywhere. So it might take a little bit of effort to go after a mind that follows Christ. What if for 2024, regarding my strength, I I sought out and acted upon ways to treat my body like the temple of the Holy Spirit that it actually is, like a good home for God to live in? If that was consistently in front of you, that idea, do you think you might eat differently? I'm not trying to point at anybody, because I got a big finger coming up back at me. Um, You think you might exercise differently? You think you might connect with certain people differently? And then what if for your soul in 2024, you and I made daily, uninterruptible space for God to meet us and speak to us and for us to speak to him, for his word, for prayer, a time of solitude. Like Paul, give yourself a little bit of a jail sentence every day. Do you think that set aside attention, that time of solitude might actually cause some clarity and charity, and calm to come to emerge out of space inside of me and around me that is commonly filled with confusion and conflict and complacency? What if? What if in 2024 we saw shifts from worry to worship, from anxiety to amazement, from grumbling to gratitude, from chaos to calm, Just like we've been hearing for almost a year now, like the banner of this church, from fear to, thank you, seven of you have been listening, (laughs) right? It's said over and over and over and over every Sunday, and it should be. We are moving from fear to love. Well, in recap, as the worship team comes, whenever they come, I invite you to imagine what if. What if we seek significance over achievement as we walk in our calling in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in love, in unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace? What if you really believe there's an intentional purpose for your unique life? What if this was a year for whole health, all your parts under Christ, for molding and for making us more useful than ever? What if we laughed more this year than we ever have before because we decided to take ourselves a little less seriously? And then finally, friends, when Jesus paid it all on the cross and then defeated death by rising, 
We, by faith, not only gained access to God, but we who follow Jesus gained ambassador status. We represent the good news. You ever think about that? We are representatives of the gospel, the good news, which is Jesus. So what if our differentness, our upside-downness, was really, really contagious in 2024? Is this better, Shalom? I'll get this out of the way. <laughs> Stay with me, Shalom. Uh, I need one of those grip it, rip it, dip it, and flip it cups. Okay. Thank you. Grab your communion. And uh, as we reflect on how Jesus made it all possible, let's take communion together. I'm sorry, by the way, that I sort of stained the, the thought of these with some funny little quip. I have a tendency to be irreverent on things like But this is about the most reverent thing that we could do. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup and said, this is my blood, blood of a new and everlasting covenant. Take and drink. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and for conquering death so that we could have life. Help us to embrace the life that you long for us to have in this coming year. In your holy name, amen. amen. Let's sing together.